Kurtz, you started drinking without me. I'm sorry. Cheers. Cheers. Craft Test Podcast, episode 167. CHP. What a way to start. This is wow. um, this is pretty great. So, welcome to Craft Heads Podcast, episode 167, the podcast about nothing but also everything, where every episode is something different. And today, we have a special guest who's been on many times. I don't need to list all the episode numbers now, because I think you've been on here like five or six times now at this point, Jake. But welcome back, Jake Kurtz. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Reporting My, live from Tampa. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, for anybody who doesn't know Jake, uh, Tommy... Tommy has seniority by on Jake by only one year, technically, because Tommy and I have known each other since third grade. We've we've technically known each other since fourth grade, but yeah. we became homies in sixth grade. Yeah. So Jake and I practically go back every bit as far. And um, it's funny that my two best friends in life uh, both have such strong Tampa ties. Tommy being from here originally, of course, and now you being here for the long run, most likely. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of took over uh, took over Tom's grounds here in tampa yeah that's right and who knows he might be back here again one day but um welcome back to the podcast and uh, we don't have a what i wanted to do with jake before uh you know i had mentioned this to you maybe a month ago was doing like a continuation of a not financial advice and i think there's some topics in that regard that might come up but uh before we dive into that because i have a good way to start that the drinks of the hour yeah another thing making this episode special is that Usually, every single episode of Craft Heads, we have some sort of a crafty alcoholic beverage. And in this particular case, this is a dry one for no other reason than, I guess it's 11 a.m. On, uh, on a Sunday. So it's not a terrible thing that we're not drinking. But there is a local place called Buddy Brew. And uh, they have great coffee here in Tampa. And Jake is a caffeine hound, pun intended, with the uh, little doggy logo here. And this one can, which is 10 and a half ounces, has 325 milligrams. So I'm probably going to drink half and give the rest to him. But uh, really solid stuff. I've had a bunch of their can products. I've been – you've taken me there before? I yeah. swear. Yeah. yeah, Buddy Brew's got like four or five locations in Tampa. They're a staple around here. Everybody knows who Buddy Brew is if you live here. And they, they've and done some solid expansion because I swear I've seen them at like Whole Foods in, in Atlanta. Yeah, and shit. they have these so. in Whole Foods. They have them in um, – Places like Sprouts, some of those more bougie grocery stores. Totally. My favorite. Jake, what are you drinking? Yeah, I'm drinking this wacky kombucha that's called um, Magical Lemon Cupcake. It's it's the unicorn edition of uh, Hum Kombucha, A-G-U-M-M. And I bought it for no other reason other than I thought the can was fun looking. And it actually tastes really good. And with that flavor lemon cupcake you would probably expect that it has a bunch of crazy bs in the ingredients but really the only bad thing in the ingredients is natural flavors and everything else is relatively healthy so hilarious follow-up from last episode we talked about this yeah i don't know how they did it but um this thing actually does taste like a magical lemon cupcake kind of yeah <laughs> awesome well actually jake is holding down the fort for us because in fact kombucha has oh 0.5% or less ABV, right? There There's technically a little bit of alcohol in there. Yeah. So it's not completely dry. So, um, Jake, as we're wrapping up our trip here in Tampa, we just came down for a long weekend to visit uh, Jake and his wife, Kelly, for Labor Day weekend. And uh, one of our favorite pastimes, and this goes back all the way to when we were kids, was Jake and I love crushing movies. And that has not changed as we've gotten older. <laughs> like, we've yeah. watched 
Did we watch four? I think, yeah, in, I think four. Yeah, in yeah. like three days. Um, it's the best. Maybe chunks of other ones I can't remember. But anyhow, the one that I feel like would be good as a natural launching point for this conversation tied to the not, not financial advice category is The Big Short. Yeah. So we were we were between a few movies last night, and that's what we wound up picking. Um, shit, I'm doing this off the top of my head. I think it's a 2015 movie. Um, it has an ensemble cast with like Ryan Gosling is one of the headline uh, guys, but like randomly Brad Pitt is in it. Margot Robbie is in it for one little scene, e- even Christian though she's Bale. like, yeah, Christian Bale. Oh, he's he was so good Steve in it. Steve Carell. Thank you, dude. This is clutch. So great cast. <laughs> and Brad Pitt shows up like an hour into the movie. Yeah, and, and, he pops up out of nowhere, and he's not a huge character. I mean. Um, I guess in terms of what happened in history, he, he obviously a big player. But uh, great movie directed by Adam McKay, who I hope I'm not wrong about about this. I swear he directed the um, that movie. Don't look, up. Don't look up. Thank you. Which was like another societal commentary. Yeah. The Big Short is about the financial crisis in 2008 ish. Of course, you know went on for several years, but uh, basically the big housing bubble burst and the subprime mortgage lending bubble again. So, and it was really cool because I think everybody hears about it and like knows, knows that something very irresponsible happened at that time. And it led to a, a near global recession for years. But this movie does a really good job of putting it in layman's terms. Um, that's a good pun, Lehman Brothers. Yeah. Um, putting it in layman's terms of, of seriously what happened, basically just lending out money for free to everybody who would take it, and then making making bets upon bets upon bets, uh, like on all of this stuff. And it was just a really insane time. And we paused at a couple times in the movie and discussed it. And like Kelly had some questions because she knows I, I really just live and breathe this stuff. And we all agreed. It's like, oh shit, this is this is happening again. Yeah. And at least it looks like it is. Yeah, it definitely has the possibility. And um, I knew about the 2008 crisis, obviously, just from existing in the world. But at the time, we were, what, like juniors in high school? Mm -hmm. So we weren't really in a place in life to have to directly deal with the ramifications of that quite yet. Um, But, I mean, we were heading into college a couple years later. So I guess you could make an argument that we were going to be. But... You know, this is going to be the first time, if it happens again, that as adults, we're going to have to deal with like a massive punch in the face in terms of the economy, other than yep. COVID. But obviously, that only impacted certain industries. And, and it kind of shocked everybody across the board. Right. You know? Yeah. And and this one could be, I'm, I'm seeing similar patterns that could lead to something. And then didn't you say that Warren Buffett did something? Okay. So two, two big names from things that happened recently. And, um, another thing that the big short focused on, which I don't recall seeing anything about this guy in another movie that we talked about on one of the rundowns called the margin call. There's a guy by the name of Michael Burry who had a, uh, um, a fund, I think called Scion capital and, uh, for several years back then around this time. And this Michael Burry they, I'm not saying this with any negativity whatsoever. They portray him as sort of like like an autistic individual. Like you can tell he's a savant with math. He's very socially awkward, et cetera, et cetera. And he, he called this crisis years before it happened. That's what made it crazy. It's not like he saw it coming in a few months. He, he called it so early on that he almost like sunk his own fund 
to, to make the bets against it and everything. But, um, of course that wound up all coming true and he made a shit ton of money, but, uh, he, he bet against uh, the housing market and of course it popped back and during that time. And then just recently this summer, I want to say maybe sometime in June, don't quote me, look it up. This guy, he once again bet against the economy, but this time instead of betting against the housing market, he bet, he did, I think his nominal value of his shorts is $1.6 billion and it's against two of the largest uh, indices, of course, or, or markets like NASDAQ and S&P 500. It's a very, very tech heavy, enormous corporations, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he's he's down. If he's still in those positions, meaning he hasn't uh, basically had a margin call and like been closed out of these, he's down some money. But if history is any indicator, he was down money for a long time to keep those positions open before the housing bubble burst. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if he's still in them or not. But the point is he did short $1.6 billion worth. And then I just read about a week ago. By the way, the time of this recording is September 3rd. I think, yeah, Jake. Mm-hmm. Uh, this Warren Buffett sold eight billion dollars worth of stocks, and I'm like, these motherfuckers. You know, I, I can't help but think, like, you know, they know something that we don't, and that's really what the stock market is all about. Is like right. insiders are always going to win, and I'm just like, I really am worried about something coming around the corner here, and I don't know if it's going to happen in two weeks or two months or two years, but you know, we have this fallacy in American society of endless profit prices go up, 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 up forever year over year. And like, that's not sustainable. That can't be a reality. So there has to be a correction soon. Kelly was asking me like, in my opinion, what, what's good to get into right now. And as of the time of this podcast and with the important disclaimer of not financial advice, like I think cash is the best thing to be in. Cause if you have, there are tons of banks account, bank accounts that you can get right now. I have multiple that pay 4.3% in interest or more. There, I thought there was supposed to be another rate hike. I don't know if that's actually going to happen, but these are going to be around for a while. Not forever, but probably if I had to guess between six and 12 months more. And like, that's just free money right now. And the other thing is if and when a crash happens, even if it's a stock market, whatever, you're going to be liquid already and you'll be ready to pounce. Mm-hmm. And like, this is how generational wealth is built. I mean, we, we look at rich people and how they get there and it's, it's obviously through opportunistic investing, a lot of times insider trading, mm-hmm. which yeah. the normies like us don't have access to. And of course, building through, um, asset wealth, like building, uh, building equity through homes and things like that. But yeah. it's just, I highly recommend checking that movie out because we were talking about this. I think, Shit like this should be shown to kids in high school. Yeah, they did a really good job at actually breaking down what what it meant to be in a bubble. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think if you really think about it, you can probably logically get your way there. But the way that this movie breaks it down is really interesting. I mean, do you think we should break down the the basics of how the bubble was created and what that was all about just for people that might be listening that don't know? They just know the economy collapsed in 08, but they don't really understand why. I mean, the first thing is, like, I I want to point fingers always at government when possible. And, of course, like, messed up, runaway corporate greed. But on some of the responsibility and blame is definitely on the consumer. Like, 
when something seems too good to be true, it usually is. We've learned that time and time again in history. And like you had people with these rock bottom FICO credit scores and very, very low income. And in many cases, their income wasn't even verified. And these banks lent them as much money as they wanted to buy whatever they wanted. Yeah. The bank, ne- the banks never should have allowed that. But as a consumer, you have to take some responsibility. Like if you're buying something you can't afford and then this whole thing pops and then the banks are like, hey, turns out we need this money now. And you're like, well, I don't have it. And then you multiply that times, you know, a hundred million people. Like that's, that's how this bubble popped before. So yeah. I mean, it, pretty much in 06, 07, you could make, you could probably not even have a job and just go yeah. apply for a mortgage and be like, yeah, I want to get this $350,000 house. Yeah. And they don't run checks on your background and your income. And it's totally insane. It, and you could just get it. And then over time, obviously, like Alex said, that just builds to the point where it's got to correct itself somehow. Mm-hmm. And that's how the that's how the 08 thing ended up happening. And I love the the one thing that they, you know, we talked about how they do a good job of sort of breaking down a lot of the terminology and everything. One of the things that really stuck with me was when you, I think it was Ryan Gosling doing the ex, uh, explanation. Yeah. He said, when you hear the term subprime, that means shit. Yeah. And I just, I was like, that is a beautiful way of explaining that to, to the average person. Yeah. It means it's a shit mortgage. It's not, it's not guaranteed. The person shouldn't have the money in the loan. And I don't know. I just thought that was brilliant. Yeah. We're just, in this, we're just in this weird place in the country where people are just buying things that they can't afford. Yeah. <laughs> I think credit cards obviously are, you know, a big reason that people can just easily do that all the time. Yep. But it's just the normal behavior that like, if I want something, I'm just going to go buy it. And it doesn't seem like we have the fundamentals anymore of what can I afford? What do I make? I'm only going to buy those things and live yes. within my means. <clears throat> and, uh, and obviously when banks are just handing out money, you're like, okay, I mean, it's a big organization. Maybe there's, maybe there's a reason that yeah. they're giving me this and you kind of think it's right in a way. I don't know. But, but deep down you just have to know if I can't realistically afford this, I shouldn't do it. Yeah. Like if all of a sudden I always try and warn anybody I can who, who comes to me for advice about such things, like plan for the absolute worst case scenario. Like if you're thinking about getting a house listener and you're thinking about your budget for it and you say, I can afford uh, a $400,000 house on my and my partner's salary or whatever. And it's like, okay, well, what if one of you lost your job? What if both of you lost your jobs? And like, to me, if the answer is we wouldn't be able to afford it then, then that means you can't afford it now. Yeah. But that's that's my personal you know, way of approaching such things like that. I, I like to build in the safety net because you just never know way. what's going to happen. Yeah, we're the same way. I mean, Kelly and I could afford a lot more expensive of a house, but our mortgage is so low mm-hmm. because we got a house that was very, very reasonable for even like one of our salaries that, you know, if, if one of us lost our jobs or, you know, one of our businesses shut down or something, we'd yep. be able to live forever in this house and on one person's pay and not, it, not worry about it. Exactly. That's, <clears throat> that's the same kind of lifestyle that Tara and I live. And speaking of that, we can now transition a little bit more to this. We talked about this before, Jake, you have your own business, um, Brick Media, which is a social media marketing agency based out of Tampa. You used to do a lot of different things, but you've really like focused on your niche, like what you're really good at and what yeah. you crush for your clients. And it's primarily social. And, uh, 
recently, you can share as much or as little as you want about this, Jake, but recently you, you took like 48 hours to kind of unplug from everything and just focus on like where you want to take brick next, what you want to do in your own life, et cetera. Just yeah. some good self-reflection time. And uh, you and I have been having a lot of conversations lately, um, certainly in the past year and more frequently in the past six months about money and what it means and why we want to earn it and you know what we want to do with it and everything. And just trying to find that balance between, well, I could make more money, but do I really want to take on this much more work and effort and stuff? So right. what, what are some things that you learned from that 48 hours that you took? Yeah, I mean, just some background on it. Brick Media started in 2018. So we actually just hit five years on August 24th. So it's been five official years since I've been doing this. And really starting in like 2019, 2020 timeframe, we started really growing fast and, you know, doubling in revenue pretty much every year. I started out with, you know, one or two freelance contractors on my team. And then it turned into, you know, three or four employees and then slowly but surely just kept adding employees. And the employees were part time for a while. And then, you know, I eventually got to the point where I could transition people to full time jobs. And right now we have 16 people on the team and 13 of them, I believe. I'd have to check my spreadsheet to be sure, but I think 13 of them are full-time salaried employees now. Mm -hmm. So the business has really grown a lot in the past three years. And throughout that time frame, I just feel that it's really easy to sort of lose yourself and sort of just go through the motions just kind of keep building your business because that's just what seems like the right thing to do when you wake up every day. And I just never really gave myself a chance to take a step back and just unplug, be off the grid, just think about what I want out of my business, out of my life, kind of look at all the different areas of my life, you know, faith, relationship, fun and social activities, um, financial uh, career, like really just every element of my life. I just wanted to look at it from a high level point of view and just see, kind of assess where things were currently at, but then also make goals for those things for, you know, the future. But obviously knowing in the back of my head that anything can happen at any moment, but still wanting to have a general idea of what I want out of all those areas of my life. And it was really nice because like I said, I've never given myself the opportunity to do that, even though obviously, you know, weekends and trips and things. My mind is usually just not in a place where I'm being intentional about thinking about all these different areas of my life. And it was probably the best thing I've done in the past couple of years in terms of my business wow. and my and my life, just because I feel like I got such a good sense of clarity and where I want to go. Because when you're just kind of waking up every day and making decisions, growing your business, in the back of my head, I was kind of like, what do I even want out of all this in the first place? Like it's growing, it's going well. Um, you know, I can still remember it just being me on my kitchen table with my laptop. And now there's all these employees and salaries and payroll is like one payroll is bigger than my salary when I first started working. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. um, it's crazy. Like it's, it's ridiculous. And I don't know. I just, I wanted to make sure that what I actually want out of business and life was in alignment with what, I was doing on a daily basis. Yeah. And I would say I was pleasantly surprised that whenever I really thought about some of these things, I was mostly on the right track already just with what I'm already doing. 
But there were some things that were interesting that were sort of unveiled to me in my time of just being able to think and reflect. But um, I think one of the biggest ones was just realizing that I could, I sort of looked at my business and I was like, well, all right, we're at 15 and 16 employees. I could leave it here. I could, you know, keep growing it. I could simplify it and just, you know, have a smaller team with only a smaller set of clients. And I kind of ran through all these different scenarios and was very intentional about like putting pen to paper, running numbers, looking at every little pro and con of all these different scenarios. And I realized that I do want to continue to grow the business. And I didn't know that that was going to be the case. I actually thought my gut going into it was like, yeah, I'm probably just going to want to keep it relatively simple and just kind of have a relatively small company with this amount of clients, this amount of employees. But once I actually mapped everything against what I want out of my life as a whole, it made more sense to have a bigger team and a bigger business. And um, that was something that was interesting to me because I didn't know going into it that I was going to come out of it thinking, you know, I want to continue to just blow this business up and Mm -hmm. grow it over the next few years a lot and kind of continue on this big path of growth. But that is what I landed on. And a lot of the reason behind that is because I don't want to be in my business all the time. And I don't want to be a business owner that's spending 40, 50, 60 hours a week on my company. And the only way to do that is to continue to delegate things off my plate and empower other people to do things. And I've already gotten a taste of that. Obviously with having 13 people, I would hope by this point I have a lot delegated because if I didn't, that means I suck at business. (laughs) But um, I have a lot delegated off my plate already. And if I really wanted to, I could probably work 20, 25 hours a week on my business and it would run and grow just fine. I don't do that right now because I always find other things to do. But it was very eye-opening that even over the last couple of years, I've built my business to the point where it sort of runs itself Mm -hmm. and I can kind of just check in on it and manage the team. And I want to continue along that path of delegation so that eventually, I mean, I'm always going to have my pulse on what's going on in my company. And I'm always, you know, I, I enjoy the mentoring of employees and empowering people and coming up with new ideas. So it's not like Brick's just going to be over there and I'm going to be over here just kind of doing whatever all the time. But I at least want to build it to the point where I have options to where if I want to have a month where I just don't work at all, I don't have to. If I want to work two hours a day on my business and then do other things, Mm -hmm. I can. Really everything that I was thinking about and pondering over that couple day period was kind of all laddering up towards the idea of just having freedom of time Yep. and not so much about money. And I know that money was sort of the, um, one of the topics that we were going to talk about today. And I think the interesting thing about me and my business and how I've evolved over the years is I don't care about money as much as I originally thought I did. And I think in some ways it's because now I've sort of experienced having a taste of what it's like to have financial stability and be able to put money in savings and things like that. So I'd say that with a grain of salt because I did care about money when I didn't have it. Mm -hmm. But it's also like once you get to a certain point where your bills are paid, you're saving money, you're living the lifestyle that you want to live, money just kind of becomes this tool that, you know, is just there and it kind of allows you to do different things. And 
I'm just really focused on time more so than money yep. and maximizing my days and maximizing my weeks. And I don't know, I'm just making sure that whatever I do on this earth is impactful and good and money, like having money really just allows me to not stress so much about money itself so that then I have time to do things that might hopefully leave an impact. So, um, my relationship with money has definitely evolved a lot to where I just don't, I don't think about it as much anymore. Yeah. That's a beautiful thing. And it's weird because it's this terrible catch 22. I think the most of the time when people are stressing, including us, like if we ever stress about money, it's only because we don't want to have to stress about money. I know that sounds really dumb, but I think everybody understands what I mean. Like I, the only, the only reason I chase it is so that I eventually don't have to chase it one day. That's like the goal. So it's a weird fine line. And that's why I do love, you know, safe avenues for building it. You know, like for, like I said, right now, I'm just, right now we're, Socking money away in savings. I don't have to think about it. I, there's no effort. There's no stress. There's no risk. Uh, there's no risk other than if, for the sake of savings in cash, if that collapses, that means the U.S. dollar has collapsed and we're all dead anyways. Right. <laughs> so it's like it's the safest thing I can be doing right now. And it's just nice knowing that that's helping me out a little bit on the side. I'm kind of at peace at the moment with where I am in my job and in my career. Um, it's I think I told Tommy this in the last episode. I'm now at the second longest tenure, which for me is a huge <laughs> deal. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm I'm grateful for where I'm at. And, you know, there there are definitely diminishing returns when it comes to money. I think it like for the Uber rich, they I have a theory that when if you don't have a lot of money, you chase it more because you need it. Then you get to a point where you're comfortable and if you keep chasing it, you get diminishing returns. Unless you start talking about rich and like uber rich people and then they get greedier and greedier and need more and more and more and literally no amount is ever enough. Yeah. And that's what you see like with with a lot of the people on on Wall Street and like a lot of politicians and stuff that just chase money and power endlessly. And it's uh, it's a gross way to live. Yeah. It's it's totally gross. I don't have any other way, uh, way to word it, really. Yeah. I mean, I think that is the case 90% of the time. I do think there's like maybe 10% of people that just kind of view it as a game and it's just fun. Mm-hmm. And they're like, how can I just, I don't know. It's almost like sports. They're just like, how can I make more money and just prove that I know how to make money? Like, Sort of like no evil behind it. Yeah. Like some people are probably just like, oh, I'm really good at business. Let me just try to see how much I can make and yeah. how good I am at this. Yeah. But um. I just think most people have a terrible relationship with money because Mm -hmm. they basically run their entire life because of money, but they only do that because they care about what other people think about what they're buying and what they're doing and what lifestyle they're living. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm definitely still a victim of this sometimes and I'm not perfect with money and my mindset and everything, but I feel like I've definitely gotten to the point at 32 years old where I now know that it doesn't matter what somebody thinks about what shoes I'm wearing, what car I'm my driving. My man, music what, to my ears. What, like, yeah. what luggage I have in the airport. Like mm-hmm. nobody, nobody gives a shit at the end of the day. And if they do, then they're probably not the type of person that you should care that they care anyway. Yeah. Um, it just It's sad how many people... I know even, you know, in Tampa, when I'm just kind of out networking, meeting people, 
you know, a lot of the first question that you ask somebody is like, what do you do? Or, you know, you just get into career stuff right away. So many people are just in these careers that they just think the money's in it Mm -hmm. and they're miserable all the time. And that's just not sustainable because the people that are in real estate, because, you know, at the time when they got into real estate, real estate was easy and it was, you know, the money was in real estate. Mm -hmm. Then as soon as the market changes and real estate isn't as easy anymore, that person's going to be miserable because they're not just selling homes left and right because the market is easy. And then those same people, they're like trading crypto when crypto's hot and then they're a crypto expert and then crypto changes and then they have to find something else. And then, oh, cannabis is now a thing. So I'm a cannabis expert. And, you know, just everybody knows those types of people that I'm talking about where it's just as soon as there's a trend, they jump on it because they think the money's in it. But then as soon as... expert in their ex-bio. Yeah, and then as soon as the trend (laughs) changes, you know, they have to find something else because it's not easy money anymore. Mm -hmm. And um, I I just think it's sad that so many people think that way. And it's just all about hacking wherever the money's at at the time. Instead of just finding something that you like to do and just actually working hard at it and money will eventually come and it'll be sustainable because you actually like it. And, um, you know, I'm grateful that I didn't jump into digital marketing and social media as because I thought the money was in it. Like I actually was kind of doing that stuff in my regular day to day personal life anyway. And then, Practically as long as I've known you, bro. Yeah. I mean, Alex can say like I've I've been on social and putting out content and stuff since the early days of knowing each other, like yep. when MySpace, yeah, MySpace, um, F- fucking, do you remember buddy profile? Yeah. On that was like the proto social media. Yeah. I mean, I've always just liked putting things out there and I don't know, seeing people's reactions yep. and I don't, it's just, it's always been kind of fun for me. It's like a, it's like a human psychology mixed with science and math. Like it's just, I don't know. It's just kind of fun for me. And I mean, I'm not going to sit here and act like I wake up every day on fire about social media, but I like it enough to the point where it's going to be a sustainable long-term thing for me. And social media has definitely gotten harder over the years. And it's not like I switched because it got harder and like went into something that was trendier at the time. So I think that's what more people need to do um, is just find those things that they like and just realize that the money is going to be, it's going to be there if you just continue to work hard at something you're passionate at. But yeah, it's it's a slippery slope when you have a bad relationship with money and it's all based on other people and it's all just based on, you know, how much can I get so that I can spend it on things that don't matter. Yep. And so I no, think that's where a lot of all this starts. I, I love a lot of what you said there and it, it's specifically tie, tying two things that you said. You mentioned that, you know, you think a lot of people, and I agree with you, have a, a poor relationship with money and you were talking about focusing on, you know, time and things like that in your life and that would be my parting piece of um, advice is instead of like fix if if you if you listener think you have a poor relationship with money or might have a poor relationship with money try and fix that and work on it and then focus on your relationship with time yeah. because don't forget unless you're lucky or hit the lottery or inherit ten million dollars the the thing that it another catch twenty two is what you expense to make money is time. Right. So like my, I, my, what I'm always trying to work toward because my time is so important to me is making sure that something I'm doing, it, it's 
try not to ever let it be a wash. Like it's weird if you do, if you spend time to pay for something and it winds up being like a philosophical wash. Like to me, it was not a good investment of your time then. I mean, a good example was that, um, <laughs> this is my final thing, but I, I love gaming stuff like this in the financial world, like sign up bonuses and whatnot. And I was telling Jake about this thing that I'm doing with a credit union to, it's, it's probably going to take me a total of two hours worth of actual like thought and work. And I'm going to get a $350 bonus out of it. And I was like, I don't make anywhere near $175 per hour in my salary job. So this is a good investment of my time. Right. And like, I, I enjoy it. I like the gaming and all that stuff of the system. So I'm like, yeah, this is a good investment of my time. Right. So find little things like that too. You can kind of chip away. You don't have to, you don't have to change who you are overnight, but you can like experiment with little things like that. Yeah. And you can never get time back. So it's like, to me, you can get as much money as you want, but not time. Yeah. And time. Yeah. I think if you, you know, if you have, I don't know if you want to visualize it like almost like a organizational chart or something where it's like, just put time at the top instead of putting money at the top and then let all your decisions be based on, you know, how can I make sure that I'm maximizing my time? And it doesn't, and, and I don't necessarily mean you need to create some passive income source and then go lay on the beach every day. I just yeah. mean like if you're gonna spend time on something, like everybody wakes up every day and has to spend time on something. Just try to enjoy the time that you're spending. Like I love it. Whether it's making fifty grand doing some job that's a lot more fun than your current job where you're making eighty five and then you could just slim down your expenses to live within fifty, mm-hmm. but you enjoy life every day. I just don't think more I don't think what I just said, I think, is a realistic option that people just don't think about because nobody ever wants to go backwards in salary. But it's like, why wouldn't you logically go back in salary if you're going to enjoy every day of your life? Yep. I, and I learned that lesson. Uh, I've told my close friends this. Uh, this this most recent jump, it was a substantial bump in pay, but the work and effort and stress was not proportional. That was like if if the raise was 25%. The work, effort, and stress was like 200%. That was a poor trade-off, right. objectively. Not worth it. No, it's not. So, um, yeah, hope we gave you some some good food for thought here. I think we we managed to keep everything somewhat related. And as always, Jake, I appreciate you being on here. For the, for the listeners, I'm always looking for trying to you know do more content and everything, especially with Tommy and how busy he is right now. So yeah. appreciate you, man, and we'll, I'll look forward to the next one already. Always. Appreciate you having me as always. Peace.